Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to listen to the Waterline podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. People ask me all the time, Shane, what's the future look like? Are we going to flourish? Are we are, are we going to drive ourselves to extinction? Are we going to destroy everything? Are we going to create heaven on earth? A big part of that incredibly complicated question is water. Water is absolutely fundamental to life. And knowing what is going on with water, the various technologies, the economics, political, social, behavioral, technological, and environmental aspects of water around the globe is really fundamental to understanding questions like that. And if you guys are into science and learning about things that affect our lives and the world, which I know you are, I believe the Waterline podcast is for for you. I just finished a episode called Water for All Regulation all about comparing the different regulations in different areas like the Israeli water law passed in 1959 and comparing how their system of of regulating water compares to California's model of regulating and how We might work together to figure out the best pros and the cons of different systems all around the world. Very, very important stuff. Please check out the Waterline podcast on your Android app and at the iTunes store. Hey guys, quick tour plug. This week I'll be in San Antonio um, and then I will be heading to Lafayette, Louisiana and New Orleans um, I, I'm San Antonio, mostly my regular show. And then at the end of the week, I'm doing, um, my good trip show and that's what I'm doing through Louisiana and I'm doing it in Los Angeles. I'm actually going to be doing my good trip show. And then afterwards doing, uh, this is on July 27th. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, we're going to take a little intermission and then I'm going to be lecturing, giving a little lecture about some of my experiences um, on psychedelics and some more uh, scientific insights and theories of my own that I have. And so that would be a really awesome show to catch if you're around. And then I'll be going to Austin, Texas. I have a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Um, uh, Indianapolis um, um, and... Um, I, I need to add a bunch more to my website. I thought I would be able to remember them off of the top of my head. Wilmington, North Carolina and Myrtle beach, North Carolina. I, at the moment, I don't have them added to my website cause I'm waiting for ticket links to go up, but more soon and going to very soon, going to have some very, very exciting news about a huge tour, um, for the fall with my good trip show might be like 30 40 cities we're looking at i uh, i don't want to speak too soon but it's uh it's looking like at least 30 cities for the fall um all in the span of just about uh l- less than two months so um i'll i'll try to keep you guys posted on that and you can always go to my website shane moss m-a-u-s-s dot com actually the here we are podcast.com website also has a link my schedule check that out i hope you can come out and support a live show soon and that's about it enjoy today's 
episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with social psychologist who's a marketing assistant professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, Hal Hirschfield, everybody. Thank you, Hal, for joining me on the program. Thank you, Shane. Um, I didn't know that you've actually seen me perform stand-up live before. You're a friend <laughs> of my friend Peter McGraw's, and I did a show with him in New Orleans years ago. Years ago, yes. I'm funnier now. <laughs> so. we'll, 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 that'll be remain to be seen, yes. <laughs> um, so uh, so Pete was... Um, Pete was all excited. I was having you on. He was he was um, going on and on about about your your work with um, with, with uh, getting priming people to think about aging more and how that affects their decision making. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, a lot of my work looks at how we get people to think more about their futures. Um, they often ignore. Uh, their future selves when it comes to important decisions, you know, like saving money for retirement or eating healthy or not smoking, smoking, etc. And so some of the work that I do tries to get people to consider their future selves in more vivid, realistic ways and think about, you know, who that person is and how they'll feel. Um, so one study that we did a couple years ago, we actually showed people um, age progressed images of their faces to get them to really consider that future self. Now, of course, uh, I think Pete may have been one of the first people to ask me to to do this for someone he was dating, you know, to see what they would look like. That's not really the point <laughs> of it, but <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so, so you show people pictures of of themselves while aging. I saw. Yeah, some of this you did with like a virtual reality. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. A bit? So one of the studies we did, we um, tried to make it more realistic for people, and we put them in a virtual reality room where they had to walk around, and they'd wear these little goggles, and uh, they would see a mirror in front of them, and then steer- staring back at them was an aged image of themselves. It, it was like like a, a whole room kind of in this virtual reality and then the the mirror would eventually catch their eye. Exactly. Right? exactly. So you weren't like telling them to look in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. Right? It was right. sort of like um just like a really basic room. This was is you know several years ago now, so virtual reality rooms look a lot better now. This kind of looked like something you would see in like 1980s Miami Vice sort of thing. There was like a weird couch and white walls. And and then there was this mirror and people would walk up to it and they would either see the aged version of themselves or or just a non-aged version. And then and then we gave them a bunch of decision tasks afterwards. And we saw that the the people who were exposed to these aged images um we're more patient, we're more long-term oriented in their thinking and their decisions and whatnot. So that, that is one of the mm. studies that we've done in this, in this area. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause usually when I see old people, I, it makes me want not want to not be old, <laughs> but, but I guess imagining yourself getting old is just a completely different thing oh, altogether. Man, I, you know, I know I'm with you. It's <laughs> tough because 
we ran into some pushback because sometimes people say, I definitely don't want to look at this. And other people would be really interested in it. And, you know, this is one of the things that I'm interested in is, you know, there's definitely some people who are more comfortable with aging and there's some people who aren't. Um, there's actually a researcher uh, at Yale who studies people's own perceptions of aging. And it turns out that if you're more negative about the aging process, that can have bad consequences for you in terms of how you take care of your health over time, you know, which makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, of course. So yeah, I, I always just assumed I'd be dead by like 30 <laughs> or whatever and um, and lived that way. And then I turned 30 and I was like, oh no, I have like 30 more years of this pretty easily. I better start taking a little bit better care the, of myself. The dead by 30 is an interesting <laughs> alternative retirement plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and my savings account reflected that plan. Yeah, yeah as exactly. Well. Um, so so what types of decisions were what, what was this process changing? Yeah, I mean in that in that particular study, we did things like ask people if they had if they were given a you know a windfall of a thousand dollars, how would they allocate that money across uh, various accounts and. We found that the people who saw their older selves were more likely to donate toward a retirement fund. Um, we also, in one of the studies in that paper, gave people uh, sort of a more fine-grained decision-making task where they had to choose between smaller amounts of money that they could get right now versus larger amounts of money that they had to wait for. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we paid them for their choices. You know, We randomly chose one of those choices. Um, so, so tasks like that, that, that was, those were the two main tasks that we, that we ran on that paper. Um, yeah. Mm. So, um, I, I mean, how, how do you apply this to real life? Because this is, this is a major, major concern is that no one has any savings and no one, and and when I say no one, I mean myself, of course. Uh, um, but that's who's most important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The very important me has no yeah. savings and is trying to get himself to. Uh, but, but this is a very serious problem in our country. This is it does seem like a large percentage of people yeah. don't have much in the old savings account. Yeah, no, I mean, y- your question kind of hits at what I've been trying to do for the last five or six years, which is to say how can we take these findings and apply them on broader levels? And um, I mean, the the short version is I don't have an answer right now. Um, but the longer version is that, you know, we've tried to work with organizations to try to implement at least ideas from this sort of, uh, these sorts of findings. So I'm not saying that everyone needs to go around and print out old photos of themselves. <laughs> it's more like the banks could have like a, you know, virtual mirror <laughs> yeah, thing that yeah. if, if the technology gets good uh, enough, you know, I'd love to do that at the ATMs, you know, or like, I guess more like on your credit card, you swipe and then old you pops up and says like, did did you really yeah. want to buy the nine dollar latte? You know? o- old but, homeless you yeah, pops yeah, up yeah. every time. Yeah, every time, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, I think that there's aspects of this that really could be used um, to really change the way that um, the important marketers or communicators out there get people to think about retirement or long term saving. You know, it normally revolves around a message of like it's in your best interest to do this or it's important to save. And what that sort of message fails to do is that it 
it fails to remind people that there is another version of them of them that exists after the retirement divide. You know, we just say something like it's important to save. Okay, but why? You know, right. and for what? Like so I can go golfing? Like I don't golf, you know, like who cares, right? No, it's like no, so you can eat <laughs> so you can go on a vacation so you can do these things. So I think one of the lessons that we're trying to apply and some groups are actually already doing this is to get people to think more vividly about what their money can or cannot get them in the future and what their decisions today can and cannot do for them and can and cannot do for that future version of themselves. Mm. Yeah, I it, it's interesting having to think of yourself as all of these different people. I mean, we're constantly becoming I'm a completely different person than I was when I was 15 and 15 year old Shane did not at all care about 35 year old Shane didn't think he'd ever exist. And, and now, and now, um, that son of a bitch got me in all sorts of trouble. And, and now I need 30, 30 well, no, I just turned 36. I need 36 year old Shane to start thinking about 70 year old Shane. And, I know. I love this sort of thing because I, I think about this too and I think, man, like some of the stuff that, you know, 18-year-old Hal did, m- most of it I just get embarrassed by. It's yeah. not, not even like, what did he do to set me up for now? It's more like, you did what? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you said what to that girl at the bar? Like, why did you do that? Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is that, you know, one way to actually get people to think about the future is to do exactly what you said, which is to get them to think about the past. And just as, you know, 15-year-old Shane has done some things for 36-year-old Shane, you can apply that same thinking moving forward, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've often I've often thought to myself that, you know, I it, my brain's often tried to trick me into thinking, you know, I just got it down. I know everything now. And then five years go by and you realize you were an idiot five years. So, <laughs> yeah. yep. so I, I usually do try to apply that going forward. And usually, um, I mean, I like to tell myself that I like reading. I like, I like thinking of myself as someone who likes reading, but the <laughs> amount of reading that I have to do for this podcast and whatnot is sometimes I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't like reading as much as I thought that I did. But but I usually frame it as like, well, five years from now, if I do this five years from now, I'll be much, much smarter than I am yeah, yeah. right now. And it's hard to do, but that does actually help me go for it rather than just Netflix and chilling. <laughs> I like that. I like that way of thinking a lot. I mean, the, the difficulty becomes... Uh, tying in sort of what you do on an everyday level to that bigger pictures, you know, so I think it's, it's so easy to take today, you know, this is random Tuesday in June. The, today doesn't really count, right? Like it's hot outside. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to read today. And, yeah. but obviously if every day gets exceptionalized that way that, you, you know, after five years, it doesn't add up. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I would say, like, I would go one step further and say, your idea is a great one. You just then have to say, each time you're in that decision-making moment, how do you connect what you're doing to the bigger picture? And that's what's so hard. Same thing with going to the gym, you know? 
On the, on the on the plus side, though, I have had a lot of exceptional days <laughs> in, in, my, in my life, <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's great to look back on that. <laughs> right. So, um, what were you, what were you going to say about going to the gym? Oh no, no, it's just the same. You know, it's the same general concept, which is like. I like to think of myself as a gym goer and then I've thought about how much I've paid per visit this month and it's it's a lot, you know, because yeah, yeah. I don't go that often and, you know, I meant to go today and I woke up and I thought, well, I'm pretty tired today. Well, to, you know, tomorrow's an easier day to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow I'll be so much more awake at <laughs> so, this time. Well, and, uh, you know, why, why will tomorrow be much different from today? I don't really know, <laughs> but, but it will be. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, I mean, with my job, I don't punch in and out really. I kind of yep. set my, yep. I mean, I have to go and do shows, but that's kind of, the, that, that's the nothing part of my work really. Like uh, the, the real work is sitting down and writing and writing, studying yeah. and doing all of that yeah, stuff is, yeah. is what takes discipline. Yep. Just going and doing an hour show or whatever isn't that, that big of a deal. Um, and it's at night. I don't have to like wake up early or, you <laughs> yeah. know, if you're missing an 8 PM show, cause you're still sleeping, <laughs> something needs to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, a, a couple things. One, uh, something somewhat related to this that I, I found really interesting was the idea of, of, um, Thinking of your country as a certain age, oh, yeah. having an effect on uh, on how much you take care of the environment. Yeah, so that was a fun paper I worked on a couple of years ago. Um, what we so we came across. If you bear with me for a second, there's this astrophysicist at Princeton. This guy mm-hmm. got G O T T, and he had this theory that you know if if you want to try to estimate how how long something will be in existence for the best way to figure it out is just to say how long has it already been in existence and double it. So it was basically the idea. And this doesn't, this doesn't count for like people because we have an idea. We know how long people live. Right. right? right. But if you're trying to say, so he did it for the Berlin wall. He went to visit the Berlin wall in like 1969. It had been already in existence for, uh, 18 years or something, something like, like that. Yeah. We'll go sure. with you know, say 20 years. Wa- we'll have to look that one up. I love wild ballpark <laughs> estimations. Yeah, we'll I, say I, somewhere between I, two and a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, let's call it 20. And he said, you know what? How long will this thing continue to stand for? It could be the beginning of its lifespan. It could be at the very end. On average, it's got to be somewhere in the middle. So let's just say... Let's just say roughly it'll be around for another 20 years. This was in 1969. That's an odd idea. Dude got it right uh, yeah. by like, he was like off by a couple of months, right? So uh-huh. it fell in November of 89, you know? And so this got yeah. him thinking, he wrote this paper that like the best way to predict, he was making this prediction for the existence of stars and planets, of course, because right, he's right. an astrophysicist. But then he kind of got kind of fun with it and started predicting how long Broadway plays would be in existence for. So he said the best way he took a random, you know, listing of shows in New York city in some week in 1991 and said, I can predict how long these shows will remain in existence for by just saying, well, how long have they already been around for? Let's double it and see how right I am. 
And he got like 95% of the shows right. What? Because it was basically like, if a show's been around for five years, that must say something, right? It's probably going to be around for about another five years, maybe, <laughs> maybe less. So, huh. I mean, I'm skipping over a lot of details here, right, of course. Right. But what we started thinking was, mm. you know, when people take pride in their countries in terms of taking care of the environment and around them, maybe one thing that they think about is, how old is my country? How long will it be in existence for? So if you're part of a, a really young country, like a, a, a newly formed nation that doesn't have much history in terms of its official age, um, then maybe it seems like it won't last as long and we don't take as good, good of care of the environment. Now, we kind of ran this... Uh, we, had, we had a hard time figuring out how old is a country. Because uh, you could say like the U.S. was started in 1776. That's the United States, you know. But of course, the land has been here for forever, right? You could say it was founded in 1492. You could say it was founded when the first settlers were here thousands of years ago. Hmm. Um, but the only way that we thought to actually do it in a uniform fashion was to say when was the country officially started in terms of its current constitution or set of laws? And so so for the U.S., that would be 1776. And in part, that's a date that everyone in the country knows, right? Mm -hmm. It's something people think about. When we think about how old the country is, yeah, you might think that it's 500 years old if you go back to the 1400s. You might... But, so, we said, well, let's go with the official age. And we did that for all the countries around the world and uh, just map those ages onto scores of how environmentally friendly the countries were. And we found this relationship. So the older the countries were, the more environmentally friendly they were. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had to control for things like GDP and how big the country was and how much farming there was and all these things. And we still found this relationship. So, um, you know, I still mm -hmm. think it's... Uh, a study that's in need of further work. I think it's sort of suggestive, but what we took from that is that if you, if you frame a country as being older, that might make people more likely to take care of it. And we found that in a follow-up study with uh, environmental donations. If we frame the U S as being around for longer, we said, you know, the U S is a really old country compared to some other countries or, right. Hey, the U S is a really young country compared to other countries. We found that when we framed it as an older country, people donated more to environmental causes, hmm. um, especially to the extent that they had some reason to care about the future of the country, if they were like new grandparents or something like that. Hmm. Um, Is that uh, do you know if that applies to like global warming beliefs or anything like that? That's a great question. I don't. It would be really cool to look at that, though. Hmm. You know, like you could imagine, you know, I don't know. It'd be hard to figure out exactly how that would apply, but... Hmm. Yeah, um, I wonder if you can use it for um, like negative things as well. Like if, if you're like, oh no, Justin Bieber is going to be around for another ten years. <laughs> I might as well jump <laughs> off a bridge. Yeah, <laughs> this is the the dark side of this <laughs> yeah. realization. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um. So. Um, I, I also, we've talked a lot on the show about, um, uh, about purchasing material goods yeah. versus experiences, yeah. but yeah. you, you did something, you have, a, you have a bit of a different twist 
um, with some of your work. Yeah, we we did a paper where um, we looked at, you know, there's all this research on, you know, material goods versus experiential. And for lasting happiness, you know, you want to buy experiential goods um, because um, the thinking is that experiences last in terms of the memories that they give you, right? Um, Whereas material goods may last longer physically, but we get um, used to them. They don't bring us as much uh, joy in terms of memories. That would be called retrospective utility. So Mm -hmm. this is actually a paper that um, a woman named Stephanie Tully spearheaded. She's a professor over at USC. Um, And what we looked at specifically was people who were financially constrained or made to feel that way. What, What would they prefer? And so we we started with this idea that, yeah, you know, experiential purchases should give you more long-term joy based on all, you know, everything I just said. Mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is if you're financially constrained and you're not sure when your next paycheck will come in or whether you'll have enough for rent or whatnot, um, we reasoned that, well, we weren't quite sure what would happen. Would they prefer this experiential thing that would give them these retrospective memories or would they prefer something that would last in time? So, you know, if I know that I'm going to be tight with my money in two months and I have the option between some baseball tickets now or, you know, an iPod shuffle, uh, if it was 2008, um, I might want that shuffle, right? Because I know I'll at least have that in my hand in two months from now. Right. And that's what we found again and again. When people were financially constrained in just a measured way, or if we made them to feel financially constrained, they would gravitate toward a material purchase over an experiential one. And the reason that they did so is because they were considering the longevity of their purchase. They were considering that that thing would last physically in time. Hmm. Now, what we don't know is, are they right? Is that the right thing to do? You know, all that work out there says experiences last longer. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that doesn't matter as much if you are feeling constrained and what you really care about is having something that you can look at, can think about. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting way of looking at things because I definitely, as someone who is... Fiscally constrained, um, <laughs> thanks to fifty and then twenty and twenty-five year old Shane. Yeah, um, I am thirty year old Shane and thirty-five year old Shane. Um, I because um, I go out all the time. Like I have lots and lots of experiences, and I mean, I love like fine dining or, or even just. It doesn't need to be like food trucks, whatever, yeah, just sure. eating at new places. Sure. I love it, but um, especially because I do it so much, I definitely don't have like strong memories of it. Whereas like I could use a new desk um, and I would actually use that quite a bit more. Like the desk that I have now is falling apart and I don't get to use it as much. And I, I think about like my, my parents were definitely like, lower middle income Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, if they were middle income and 
we definitely didn't have that many experience. But my mom was always getting like little decorations sure, and stuff sure. around the house. I don't know. It seemed to make her very happy to have <laughs> these little knickknacks around. You know, know, of course, there's like individual differences with this stuff. But I, right. but I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I think some of this, I, I think some of the insights from that paper aren't necessarily that, you know, one way is better than another way. But that, um, you know, if we're trying to think about longevity of purchases, um, we want to try to do the things that we can do to make them last in our minds. So um, you go out to these dinners, right, or bars or whatever, and it's easy for them to all blend together because you don't actually sit and think about, you know, it's like it's great in the moment, and then you go on to the next thing. And uh, there's some research that suggests that, you know, the idea of of savoring an experience can increase the longevity of it. You know, mm. you stop for a second and say like, let me think about this food I'm about to have, or, you know, look at this food truck and how amazing it is. And, you know, the, the, I mean, honestly, there's a, there's a brand new paper that just came out about taking pictures of food, taking mm. pictures in general, I should say. But the idea that, you know, when we whip out our phones to take a photo of an experience in some ways that can actually make it last longer. Cause we've now, fully engaged ourselves in the experience by trying to capture it, which huh. is a, you know, it's an, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. That's cause I wonder, because part of me, it feels like when you take a picture of something, your brain's just like, well, don't need to remember that anymore. Mm. Like if I take a picture of a parking spot or something like that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you've uh, outsourced it. Yeah. To, yeah. To yeah. Yeah. Phone, just right? like my GPS. I used to be so good with directions. Uh, I and now no idea I am, how to get home. I, me too. My, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. If Waze went down, I would actually be stuck in my office. Right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, you see that they did a uh, the, the LA update for Waze. Love it. Oh, Love it. No difficult, no difficult oh, intersections. Those intersections were so crazy. So great. So um, great. I yeah. I mean, there's so many factors with that because say I'm on, say I'm going to dinner with a lady then that might be a much more memorable experience than mm-hmm. just because it does. And it also makes me more mindful. And also because, or say I'm, say I'm with a friend or anything. A lot of times I'll be like, oh, isn't this good? Kind of like, you know, you want to make sure the other person's having Absolutely. a good time Absolutely. as well. So maybe that's making you more mindful. There's just a million factors. No, there's like. definitely a ton. And I mean, one of the, one of the factors, of course, is that, many times experiences are shared socially mm-hmm. and all the things you're talking about are the types of things that social interactions naturally bring out. We remember the experience more in part because we've shared it. And now that strengthens our bond with the person we shared it with, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you're absolutely right there. Hmm. I wonder all yeah. the different variables with buying certain things. I wonder, I wonder what different things have lasting effects and what what don't because I'll, I'll buy like little gadgets that i use for like a week or whatever but then i'll buy things like i bought a new um like a magnetized car phone holder for the the vent or whatever and now yeah. i just i don't have to like click anything in or anything it just sticks there's a little magnet on on the back of my phone and still, I've had it for months, and I'm still like, oh, that's so much better than the way my life used to be. Uh, <laughs> I, lo- I love that because that I- I'm the same exact way, and I think it highlights a core principle, which is that we are so lazy. Like when I, when I think about 
you know, I might buy this. I forget what it was recently. I was about to buy something and it was like, you can set, you know, you can use this every day in three easy steps. And I was like, that's about three steps more than I ever <laughs> want anything to be. And it's, yeah. it's so true. You know, it's like um, my big investment for my office was the Nespresso maker, or I should say my investment. My, my, my dad got it for me when we had our first kid because he said, you're going to be more tired and you'll need this. <laughs> And I have so much more espresso now because all I need to do is pop the little capsule in and press go. If I had to make it myself, I'd have maybe like a tenth as much. And it's, you know, any purchase that I think just makes everything easier to use, you're, I think you're just going to use it longer, mm. you know? Um, so what about, and, and this this is all sort of related to yeah. um, your work with, um, mental simulations and yeah. um, meaning of life. I'm glad you see this all as being related because yeah. I have struggled to look back on my CV and say, is this all related? Um, but um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, maybe, maybe the, uh, I, I have one, I have one for you that seems a little bit uh, of a tangent, but, yes. but so far I looked through, see, this is as a comedian, I have to, take a bunch of unrelated things yeah. and then build like a related story based on it. So That's brilliant. it might be more my skill than your, <laughs> yes. uh, than your You're work. Have to give me some <laughs> uh, no, that was a cool paper. Basically um, what we looked at there was people's tendency to step outside of their, their minds. Essentially there's, um, you know, when we talk about mental simulation, we, we, what we mean by that is being able to, think about other times or other minds or other places or other realities. And mm. there's been some, uh, I've been trying to picture myself in the winter all, all day with the, with <laughs> yeah. this heat wave going yes, on. I, I've, I'm very familiar with that. And, <laughs> and it's amazing how different that is in like January when all you're trying to do is picture yourself right now. Yeah. It would be amazing for it to be warm. Um, and, you know what what we what we looked at there was whether or not people who were better at this skill um actually were able to derive more meaning in life uh and you know I, without going into all the the background there there's some neuroscience research that says that parts of the brain that support the ability to step in and out of the present mm-hmm. um are also related to uh finding meaning. Um, so we thought maybe these two things can be tied together. Maybe the idea that we are naturally better at sort of stepping in and out of the present into the future or the past or stepping into your mind and viewing the world through your eyes, maybe that could be linked to also being able to find meaning and coherence uh, in our in our world. And that, that's that's what we found there. And so in some of the studies, we actually got people to step outside the present. And we found that that boosted their sense of meaning. Now, this is different than, we always get pushback on this because people say, well, but there's so much now about living in the moment and you know, being present-oriented. And th- this is a little different than that. That sort of research is saying, don't, you know, don't be mindlessly distracted. And yeah, don't be passive in your experience. Exactly. Right. And and what we're not saying, we're not saying, oh, if you're mindless and you, we're not saying don't take pictures of your food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, basically, what we're saying is, you know, if there's directed 
simulation. If you're if you're in a sort of a mindful, directed way, thinking about other times or other minds, that should give rise to or be related to uh, mm. the ability to find meaning in your surroundings and what's around you. And in part, it's it's really kind of um, it seems almost boneheaded, but in part because when we do that, when we think about other times or other minds, we're more likely to be thinking about weighty, meaningful things. You know, mm. if I think about today, I think, you know, I had a Skype meeting at 10 and I've, you know, a lunch meeting. Super at exciting podcast. Super at exciting podcast <laughs> at 11. No, this will be the thing I think back on. <laughs> and, you know, when I think about what will I be doing five years from now, I'm, I'm more likely to think about something that's that's weighty, that's meaningful and not banal. Mm hmm. So it's pretty straightforward, but this yeah, I mean, be... it's priming you to think about the bigger picture exactly. more, which makes things seem over so very significant. So, you know, when we think about that's exactly right. When we think about time, how are we here right now? Exactly. Exactly. Versus eleven billion years old, and I can't believe <laughs> and it's millions of years of evolution. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, I mean, I guess it's very context dependent. I mean, it, 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 saying. It, the whole idea of like being in the moment. I was always, I mean, I get it. I, I'm all for being mindful. Um, and I sure. try to meditate a lot. Love to think of myself uh, as a mindful person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like one thing I've noticed about myself is I like to tell myself how mindful I am. Um, I've been pretty more mindful about that lately. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> You're a great reader of mindful things. <laughs> yeah. um, before we wrap up, I have each one of my guests plug a nonprofit of their choice. Uh, which one would you like to plug? The ALS Association, um, which is an organization that uh, conducts research and offers services to uh, families and patients suffering from ALS, otherwise known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm -hmm. um, a lot more research is needed to figure out how to prevent it and to cure it, hopefully. And uh, it's a great organization that uses contributions to further the science behind it. Fantastic. And everyone can always go to the herewearepodcast.com website, and there will be a link, and you can find out more from there, um, lastly, uh, I, I've started um, I've started taking a little bit better care of myself recently, and you have a little work related to health, um, mixed emotions, and and how yeah. they can make you healthier. This this might be uh, th this is the perfect time in my life to hear me get some advice on on <laughs> taking better care of myself because. I'm I'm very close to being there. Um yeah, well so that that work, you know, we look at there is that um sometimes people are uh really hard pressed to be able to take in any negative information or negative experiences because well, for obvious reasons. Um we we're actually inspired by uh one of your um I guess one of your your uh, colleagues, Louis C.K., had this... I'm sorry, strike that. Mitch Hedberg. Ah. Mitch Hedberg um, had this line where he said, uh, I wish when you ate a uh, donut, you could have it alongside a carrot, and it would hit your stomach, and the carrot would be like, it's cool, guys, the donut's with me. Um, and we... I don't do a great impression of him. Maybe you can edit that <laughs> and make it funnier. Um, 
So we we had this this reasoning that um, if people are more likely to be able to process negative emotions in their life by feeling them alongside positive ones, mm. it might put them in a better place in the long run because oftentimes negative emotions and negative experiences can be uh, times to learn, times to expand your horizon, times to confront something, a stressor, and make it more meaningful. Mm. Um, and so what we looked at is the frequency of mixed emotional experiences over a period of 10 years. Um, it wasn't a repeated 10-year study, but we surveyed people um, every five years. Uh, and what we found is that the people who had more frequent mixed emotional experiences and increases in them um, also were in better health. Um, they seemed to uh, be less stressed out. They seemed to be more physically healthy as, as reported by themselves. Um, and so, yeah, the idea there basically was that if we try to ignore the negative or suppress it or push it off to the side, that can potentially be more damaging than trying to let it in uh, alongside positive experiences. Plus, you seem like a lunatic when you're just like a happy go lucky. <laughs> I, I started taking. Um, no one trusts that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've been taking because um, I, I have some a bunch of mobility issues from my injury. I've been yeah. doing yoga, and um, and it's I it's very very good for me, and it's helping a lot and everything. But it's it's just, I mean is. I did CrossFit for a while too, and there and there was years ago, and and there's just some of the overly optimistic, overly positive attitudes just like oh, kill me. Yeah, and I I'm in yoga class hearing about how like you can do anything you want to do if you just believe in like, yourself. No, I and, can't. I got benched from Little League basketball. Like, I'll never yeah. be able to play basketball. Yeah, it's yeah. different for you. I don't know. No, absolutely. It's a, it, it feels like that. And that, and then I get, um, it, you know, I do get, it, I do burn a lot of calories, like rolling my eyes, um, <laughs> I, I, I suppose. But outside of that, I feel, whereas, whereas when I'm, when I'm like, well, this sucks, but you're going to feel better afterwards. Yes. Like, <laughs> I, yes. I, I, I seem to do a better job. Uh, I'm with you. I think there's more realism there. Maybe we're in the minority on the west side of L.A. I don't know. But <laughs> something about that seems research supported. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much for meeting with me, Hal Hirschfield. And um, I, I would, uh, it was short but sweet. We got packed in a lot of info. We made it. Uh, <laughs> we made it flow very smoothly. <laughs> yeah, tried absolutely. To <laughs> a lot of different ideas. Um, this is terrific. And thank you, listeners, for for tuning in, downloading, and being such curious, smart, inquisitive folk. I'll talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everybody. As always, please, uh, if you haven't yet, go and, and review the podcast on iTunes or whatever you're listening to, Stitcher, anything. Um, that always helps. It helps, uh, well, one, it makes me feel good seeing the nice reviews. And then it also helps um, get more attention from iTunes and, and people on iTunes so it gets recommended more, that sort of thing. And um, go to here at here we pod on twitter give that a follow 
um, retweets, anything on Facebook is uh, that you can do to share my posts or anything like that is always very, very helpful to get the word out there. Um, the more listeners I have, the easier all of this becomes for me to put out a better quality product and to possibly line up more live uh, Here We Are podcast shows, which I'm working on. And um, next week on the program, uh, Christian Wheeler at Stanford, a marketing professor at Stanford, will be joining me. Um, we we kind of uh, go all over the place a little bit. We talk about... Um, some uh we talk about how ratings um affect uh people's judgment of buying a product and we we talk a lot about um how how people's views of how flexible um uh, people's beliefs are uh, influences how likely they are to advocate for things or how likely they are to try to convince others of their view. Uh, really interesting chat. We, we go all over the place, tons of awesome subjects. Really bright, really cool guy. Um, so tune in for Christian Wheeler next week, and I'll talk with you guys then. Thank you. say uh seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing boris karloff what would it what would that be like <laughs> it might go something like this oh mr karloff i loved you and frankenstein and i love giving you a blowjob why mr seinfeld i'd love having you 